the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Sorry, money and Russian and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. You want to talk strategy, politics? No. You want to talk entertainment, retirement? No. No. What's going on? Yep. Yep. So Sting's working well into his 60s, right? He's on tour yet again. That's a good skill to have. Ibano Vox, the ability to put food on the table. What would you do from age 60 to 100 if you had to do something for money? Or is that the period of time where you're like just being good to yourself at that point? So I just saw that Sting might be coming to the Bay Area. I've got the worst Sting story of all time. I just saw a guy who was at the same show. Have I ever told you this story? No, so I'm not sure. I saw Sting and Peter Gabriel last year. I've always liked Peter Gabriel. I've seen Peter Gabriel enough that I don't want to see him anymore, but I've never seen Sting in a great scenario. I saw him 10, 15 years ago when they came to the Oakland Arena with the police. It was awful. It yeah, was, I was there. It was, it was awful. an awful show. So I was like, I'm going to forgive Sting. I'm going to do it. So I went to the SAP Center. SAP Center has got about 18,000 people. Something like that. And um, I get 10th row seats. And I'm enjoying it. And the crowd's into it. And then there's like a song, and it's one song Peter Gabriel, one song Sting, one song Peter Gabriel, one song Sting. And their backup singers kind of helped each other. This couple in front of me, one seat in front, wouldn't sit down the whole show. So at one point in time, 17,998 people are sitting down. Because the song's just slow. It's the one of those Peter Gabriel, um, Stephen Biko songs. It's not a song you dance to. And uh guy must have been so stoned. He stood up and danced. You know the dance where you're, like, your hips don't move, but your whole upper body does? I know. I, I sound like an old cranky guy. I went to a concert and people stood up the whole time. No more. I'm not going to take this anymore. 
with 70,998 people are sitting down, taking a little bit of a breather. Take a little bit of a breather. To this song. Are you with me or are you against me? All right, all right. I'm with you. Anyway, it's Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. How are you, Tony? Good morning. Let's talk real estate, because we are in an environment where things are shifting from super low-cost interest rates, super low-cost mortgages. We went from an environment that shifted from too easy of credit in 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, to too tough of credit. But now we're starting to ease up a little bit, because every now and then you'll drop a bomb on me and go, oh, look, it's a no-document loan, or oh, look, it's a no-credit score loan. So things seem to be... um, Loosening. Is that a fair statement? It is. It is. And uh, you're talking about the low rate environment to transitioning to a higher rate environment. Um, it's catching a lot of people off guard. And I think we're going to see a little rush towards trying to either refinance or buy a house more in the buying a house side because who doesn't want to get something in the 4% range now, which is funny because we were talking about the 3% range less than a year ago or two years ago. And now it, Let's get something in the 4% range. I mean, the standard, I'm talking your low balance rate is now probably 4.6 now. So, yeah, they're moving up. Yeah, they're moving on up to the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky. <laughs> low down payment loans are popular again. That's kind of, it's, it's, it's worrying me a little bit because one of the things I've been hiding behind in the last few years is our economy, our economic recovery is looking pretty good because loans were so difficult to get. That if you got a loan, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be able to service that loan. And if you're able to service that loan, banks don't go out of business. Banks don't have failed loans. Banks don't tie to tighten too much. So is that kind of a truth? Yeah. You know, low down, uh, banks are doing anything they can to get business. All right. We, we've already known that the big banks, the big like the Wells Fargo's Bank of America and so on, they're moving towards just filtering the clients that they really want to focus on, and that's the high credit score, the high down payment, probably even clients of their own, and they really focus on them. So that leaves a lot of people kind of shuffling around looking for the right lender or the right product. for. And the the wholesale lending market has really picked up. They do more than 50% of the uh, origination in the United States for mortgages. And that's using a broker. And there's a reason, because these lenders or investors are coming out and saying, we have pretty much a product for everybody. Uh, the loan down payment products are popular because, I mean, you look at a place like the Bay Area and, you know, $100,000 is 10% of a million dollar property, but in Denver, it's 25%. So you, the lenders have to figure this out and how it works for people. And they're doing products where like no mortgage insurance. And they're like, oh, with 10% down, it doesn't meet 20%. I'd have to get mortgage insurance. But no, there's products right now. You can get even through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and um, the, these products that don't have mortgage insurance. And it's it really is something that is needed part of the market. So you're going to keep seeing this type of movement towards looser regular, looser. LTV, credit score, and other guidelines. I wonder if lenders prefer if like a, a Bank of America or a Wells Fargo or a United Wholesale Mortgage would rather do 10 loans at $100,000 or one loan at a million dollars, or if they prefer lower cost markets like Austin versus the Bay Area. Um, I know that I know there's a lot of math in it. I know there's a lot of you know uh, algorithms in it. I, I, I think it's I think volume is always some sort of mentality. Like the if you were in the car business, you want to sell more cars instead of like fewer, more expensive cars. I I, I don't know how they were. I think volume speaks words. Uh, we 
several years ago, I worked for a company where our office did a certain X dollar amount. Let's just say it's $100 million a, a year in mortgages. Um, another person did the same amount, but they did more volume. They were in Sacramento, so they did three times more loans, but the volume was the same, and they were recognized, and we weren't. So it was. it's like, I think that they would go for the volume. Okay. That was kind of a weird situation because I'm standing in the back of the room going, well, what about us? Yeah, it was kind of strange. Not worth getting into that much, but yeah. I, I think lenders want volume because they want the they want the repeat business from those people later. Is right. the whole the whole process? Gotcha. So it's just you know the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Um, it, it works on so many levels. On an individual level, if you buy a million uh, six hundred thousand dollar property, it goes up. Ten percent, just made sixty thousand dollars. On a hundred thousand dollar property, you goes up ten percent, you just made ten. So individually, you score bigger with the bigger numbers, but you also risk more. Same thing with the banks. Sure. So it'd be interesting to study because uh, do we really think that a sixteen hundred square foot house in the Bay Area is worth inherently more for the house and the land than say Richmond, Virginia? Or Austin, Texas. No, it's the same house, it's the same land, except for the fact, oh, Facebook and Google work five miles down the road. Did one and not the other. So, anyway, um, credit scores. How are credit scores uh, working these days? Didn't they get lightened up easy, made easier recently? Again, that goes back to the products, and to answer your question, yes. Um, we were just talking about a... Uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. So lenders are are doing this neat little trick where they can okay, we you don't have to have a credit score uh, to use this product, but we're going to underwrite you under this other product and then switch you back over to the product as, uh, on the back end and sell it. So yeah, lenders are really figuring out how to pretty much capture everybody. Um, you still want to look at your credit because the difference can be uh, about one percent between a 640 score and a 740 score, especially if you're in a jumbo loan or you're taking some cash out or it's a duplex or an investment property. So yeah, credit, credit scores, scores are important to monitor a lot. Incredibly important. You can find Tony Mendez if you want to get a loan. He just did my loan last month. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. Financial sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Southwest has a big cash saving deal right now. I like saving cash, and 1% or 2% is more than enough for me to save. I'm the guy who sees a quarter on the street, pick it up, and go, woohoo, quarter. Put it in my pocket. I have no pride when it comes to looking to my future and looking to my family's future, financially speaking. So, Southwest has this fair deal that it's cute. $49. Essentially for one leg of a trip. It sounds pretty good, right? The 
problem with it is it's pretty limited, and you got to fly when you typically don't fly. And clearly we know Southwest is generating buzz, and by the time we get to their website, it's either shut down or the flight that we would have taken is sold out. They know this. This is all data-driven ways of getting more butts in seats. Even if it's a staple for Southwest, they wouldn't be doing this in theory if demand was huge. So when do they do it? They tend to do it at the slowest travel time of the year, end of the summer. Beginning of the summer, not so much. Because people are pent up, they're, they're, they're crazy, they want to take their kids to the Alameda County Fair, they don't know what they're going to do during the summer, they don't know what summer weeks they've got, summer camps that they don't. But by the end, it's like, I'm exhausted, I'm going to stay home. But right now, it's wide open, so people will fly. But by the end of the summer, people not so much. So it's the big twice-a-year fair sale. And again, it's $49 on the shortest route, sometimes $79, $99, $129 for the longer flights. You can save some pretty good money if you're going to fly between August 21st and December 12th. No chance you're going to fly on Friday or Sunday at those rates, so you have to pick some goofier days to travel. But Southwest needs you right now. Not only do they want to generate buzz during a time where a lot of people don't travel, but, you know, they know Thanksgiving is going to be blacked out and busy. They know Christmas is going to be blacked out and uh, busy. You know, people want to go home for the holidays, right? Not so much me. I am a man without a home. But Southwest also has another problem. Do you remember that flight where the engine blew up and hit the window and a woman got halfway sucked out of a flight and she died? And, like, the randomness of that, you couldn't buy odds, you know, you'd probably win five lotteries in a row. But they need to fix that little PR issue because bookings did drop when people thought, uh-oh, what if they're not safe anymore? I don't mind going with a commodity, you know, bussing in the air approach that Southwest has. But if people are going to die, I'd rather pay a little bit more. So that's out there, right? Anyway, times are a-changing. Just thought I'd throw that out there for you. Times are changing. So I use the City Double Cash card. You've probably seen a commercial for it. It's 2%. It's better than the 1.5% deals. To the point that the Double Cash, you get a $100 City Double Cash card. You get a $100 sign-up bonus. You get 0% for 18 months if that's your thing. Um, but it's better than the Chase Freedom Unlimited, the Capital One Quicksilver. I love the spokesperson for Capital for Quicksilver. Love the commercials, love everything about it. But not for me. It's only 1.5%. It's free. Someone's calling me. That's awkward. Um, But so Capital One's cute, and I kind of get it. And I get why people might say that is the card for me, but I don't think it's going to be. City Double Cash is 2% versus 1.5%. You get $100 sign-up bonus um, in the process. I think that's pretty solid. Job openings hit a record high of $6.7 million in April. The number of jobs that are open in the United States tells us that the economy is doing quite well. 
because we're also at 3.8% jobless rate in the United States. There's a lot of jobs out there, 6.7 million of them. So now is a great time for you to say, boss, boss, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. If you've already found another job that pays you more. Not something to rush into, in my opinion. Just throwing that out there. Maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't. The heat streak on Wall Street starting. There you go. Twitter's up 4% today on news that are being added to the S&P 500. Was that Conway Twitty who's saying, take this job and shove it? It was Johnny Paycheck, but I'm going to say it was Conway Twitty because I thought that was pretty clever of me tying Twitter being added to the S&P 500 to Conway Twitty's take this job and shove it. And that's a great example of fake news. And don't ever let the facts get in the way of a good story. Just saying. You are fake news. Fake news. Fake news. Oh, National Economic Director Lawrence Kudlow has talked up the possibility in a Fox News interview that the U.S. might have bilateral trade talks with Canada and Mexico as the NAFTA negotiations remain bogged down. Now, I don't know if it's a good idea to say to Mexico, wait, 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 we're going to talk to Canada first about trade, and then we'll come back to talk to you. I don't know if that's going to be a, a, a received well in Mexico. And um, it's something the market's dealing with. Mariachis. I'm not going to say anything stupid right now. I'm trying not my, to. My, my, 16% less stupid is the idea on the show going forward. Now, when I like to kill weeds, because I want beautiful lush grass, I, I, I don't mind if it's going to pollute the water system or not, because I want beautiful lush grass. I don't mind, like, whatever I have to do to kill the bug or the weed, I'll kill the bug or the weed, because I want beautiful lush grass. That's terrible. Monsanto. Monsanto is known as the company who can kill, you know, weeds better than anyone else. Well, the problem is that because their weed killer gets into the water system and it makes people sick, uh, Bayer bought them. Monsanto was on to something. They, they, they know how to make plants that will grow in the winter. They know how to make corn that will grow all year round. They know, like, they're pretty dominant at what they do. But the name Monsanto is such a negative so when Bayer bought them for $66 billion, they took the name off the company. I like Bayer because there's very few people who can feed the world. And now that that ugly name Monsanto is gone, even though they sell their same products, interesting concept, right? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Somewhere below the Grand Hotel, there is...
comments and questions are always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. summertime so i'm already starting to think of a little less economic activity a little more downtime things move by fast but there's a lot of big stories out there let's talk about the hot streak on wall street bring in patrick o'hare from briefing.com man this is a tough market for me to read mr o'hare i can't tell if we're going to finish the year higher or if we're about to go off a trade um packed deal cliff so to speak how are you mr o'hare Okay, Rob, I'm doing well, thanks. Um, I think you um, highlight the main issue for the market is that, you know, while the future is inherently unpredictable, um, there are headlines in the here and now that make it very difficult to commit one way or the other um, because uh, there's some big issues that could be resolved one way or the other that that will make a big difference for the broader market. And I think that that's contributing to this uh, sideways choppiness that we've uh, seen for many months now. And granted, we're kind of at the upper end of that, closer to the upper end of the trading range, but um, but without any resolution to uh, to those trade matters in particular, I think the market continues to um, fight internally with the unknowingness about what's going to happen with interest rates um, and trade matters in particular. So some of the headlines out there, obviously, they're kind of all blending together to me. The JOLTS report showed number of job openings high. The unemployment rate shows in a crazy good economy if you have a job um, or a crazy good healthy job market. Maybe not with wages, but it's a low rate. And uh, then you start getting into the trade wars or no trade wars. You start getting into the oil prices and not oil prices, the inflation interest rates. They all kind of seem to be meeting in the middle a little bit, the way I feel, the way I feel it and the way I'm kind of seeing it. Um, and we can't seem to break out of those worries. Uh, one crops up, we get over it. Then another one crops up, we get over it. Am I on to that, or, or am I reading it wrong that we're just kind of treading water? No, I think I think you are right on to it. Um, and you know, and I think that something that we always need to bring up, though, at a, in a market like this, it's just kind of been frustrating for some of the bulls who are thinking that you should have a much stronger performance, you know, given the tremendous earnings growth that we saw registered in the first quarter, and as well as the tremendous earnings growth that's expected throughout throughout the year. Um, but again, to come back to that uh, interest rate dynamic, I think you have a lot of people that are cognizant uh, that, you know, you've hit an inflection point with respect to the Fed's monetary policy. And so while you have all these other uh, residual issues going on around uh, the market as they relate to trade, uh, oil prices, um, things like that, uh, political, you know, geopolitical dealings, North Korea, you know, you still have a market that is is trying to figure out are rising interest rates uh, going to be uh, viewed through a prism of uh, being a good thing or being a bad thing, right? Because you can have interest rates go up in a good way because they reflect an improving economy that's going to, you know, underpin stronger earnings growth potential. Uh, But you can also have interest rates go up in a bad way that reflects, you know, uh, inflation uh, getting uh, faster than expected um, and or, you know, concerns about the 
banks, you know, in the treasury market. And so, you know, the market is, is just not, uh, uh, hasn't hit a, a point of closure yet in terms of how it wants to think about things. Um, because it, there's a valid argument, I think, on, on, on either side of the fence right now that when you come off of a year which you've had a double-digit gain uh, and you've come off of a uh, basically, you know, an eight-plus year, you know, bull market uh, that has registered 200% plus gains, you know, there's going to be a period of consolidation as you kind of sit there and contemplate, okay, what's next? You know, what does drive that next leg up after such a, such a tremendous run? And one of the main causes uh, for pausing this year, though, is, again, to come back to this uh, idea about earnings growth being so strong, and yet the market was somewhat um, uh, neutral toward it, you know, which, which, of course, invited the concerns about, you know, being close to or at peak earnings. You know, in a forward-looking market, will understand that uh, the comparisons uh, in the year-ahead period for the first quarter are going to be extremely strong. They'll be strong for all four quarters in 2019, you know, as we're going to be lapping the positive impact of the tax cuts, uh, a lot of share buyback activity, um, you know, and things like that. So, So I think that's, you know, one of the main factors is just kind of hanging over the market here and acting as a restraining influence. But we shouldn't forget the market is still up, you know, for the year, up close to 3% before dividends. Um, so doing okay. It's just not the type of return that one might have has grown accustomed to seeing and would perhaps be expecting relative to the strong pace of earnings growth that, uh, that we're now seeing unfolding. It's not really a sexy up market where people want to listen to radio shows and podcasts and television shows. It's not really a, a down market where people are panicked and look to radio shows and podcasts and television shows to make up the difference. Yet there's some pretty interesting news out there. Like, for instance, Howard Schultz is stepping down to pursue uh, other interests as chairman of Starbucks, which I think is one of the greatest companies of all time. I think he's one of the greatest CEOs of all time. Uh, he's got a good international feel. And... Um, Will he or won't he run for president? There is big questions on that, but he's also got notions of the single-payer health care coverage and government-backed full employment, and he's an interesting guy to listen to right now. Are there any CEOs that you're enamored with, or if maybe throw out one, or maybe even talk about Schultz for a second? Well, of course, Tim Cook always gets you know tossed around in, um, in that mix of CEOs that you just kind of have to uh, just – you know, really respect and admire um, when you consider the uh, the shoes he had to fill at Apple and and the tremendous uh, you know wealth creation he's helped uh, bring about, uh, leading uh, Apple in the post Steve Jobs era. Obviously, um, you know Satya Nadella at Microsoft um, has been an absolute stud in terms of creating you know uh, shareholder value since since he took over the reins there. So um, yeah, there's a you know there's Always, you know, plenty of people in the mix there that you can express some admiration for. Howard Schultz certainly among them, uh, no doubt about that. Yeah, I'm always just, I I try to find the stories, and I I honestly think CEOs have some pretty good stories. Like you said, Tim Cook, a homosexual male who is dominating the business world, who doesn't make a big thing out of being a dominant CEO. He's just kind of quiet, and yet his policies on energy conservation, Schultz on race race relationships, I kind of find it they kind of have to be the leaders now. And Oracle has a high school in their building out here. Um, it's like we're turning to corporations to help us, which I find a good story. 
Um, anything else out there in the, the world of business that you're looking at uh, that you find you want to chit-chat about? Maybe something you're working on for your Friday report? Well, you know, what you said you know earlier about how, you know, kind of people aren't necessarily all that interested in tuning into podcasts and, and uh, you know, and market commentary, if you will, when it comes to this year's this market. Um, I kind of, I do find it somewhat exhilarating each day because I think this market is like that uh, proverbial box of chocolates that Forrest Gump talks about, right, and that you never know what you're going to get, right? Each day it seems to produce another headline that creates some volatility, and granted, you might have a sideways trending market, but it's a market you can't turn away from. Um, you do need to continue to pay attention to it because we are at some important inflection points, and um, and there's some important things to, to consider as it relates to the ability to continue this bull market move or to see it, you know, get upended. Um, so, uh, so while it might seem uninteresting as we look at things from an index perspective, uh, it is it is a market that you need to keep tabs on, and, and you want to keep listening to uh, to people like you, Rob, and, and hopefully we'll continue to keep you know, reading commentary from people like me uh, as we try to make sense of it. Well, that's a very kind thing of you to say. But with that being said, I, I'm searching for news to help people right now. And I go to, like, the Southwest 24-hour, 48-hour sale at a $100 round trip. That's better than telling them, like, Twitter is going into the S&P 500. Um, I find it difficult. Some days I find it difficult to, to determine what's going to help people and what's not going to help people. Um, how does this this bull market end? Do you have a clue, or is it like you said, you're just going to show up to work one day and you're going to say it's over, and you're going to look at maybe North Korea, maybe you'll look at China, maybe you'll look at a bad jobs report? Uh, do you think there's well, a I flag think, you know, that, that we look back on? Yeah, well, you know, I guess always hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think it'll be right. more of a process rather than just one, you know, one headline that you know marks the official end to this to this bear market. But really, the or to the, to the bull market, and so uh, it really, the, the the main factor everyone needs to keep tabs on is the direction of interest rates. That will ultimately, I think, determine when this bull market ends. You know, when we get you know interest rates that are a true competitive threat to stocks, uh, and which ultimately lead to a higher cost of credit, which demand for credit and which leads to a you know a general uh, slowdown in economic activity that that then starts leading to a more progressive pace of downward earnings revisions those are the factors that are going to come into play uh, that ultimately spell the end of the, of the bull market so we're not there yet but keep a keep a close eye on uh, on interest rates because they will be the dictating factor you're the best always good to talk to you Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com. We're into the summertime months. I start my day every day with his page one, talking about what happened on Wall Street and why. I end my week with his big picture. There's a lot going on in the stock market right now. Story stocks, Twitter being added to the S&P 500, Starbucks ex-chairman stepping down to maybe run for president in 2020. A lot of drama, just not on the price action of Wall Street. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
waited. When I say that, like, you wish you could have waited, or could you have waited for an iPhone 5 instead of iPhone 4? Stick with it for one more year. It's one of my biggest regrets is growing up in a world of kind of a materialism, of addiction to tech things, all things shiny. So when Apple announced at their Worldwide Developers Conference that they're going to try to curb addiction issues, I kind of don't believe it, (laughs) you know? I'm kind of sarcastic about it. Yes, one of the things that they announced in their new operating system is a system that is uh, going to monitor how much you use your phone and on what apps, and it's going to let you know. It's going to feel faster, the new operating system. They're doubling down on performance. Woo! They've got more Siri shortcuts. Siri's getting some improvements where users can set up predetermined Siri queries that automatically launch apps. If you say, help me relax, it can start playing music. Help me to fall asleep, it can start doing a meditation for you. Uh, If you need to order groceries, it'll launch a grocery delivery app for you. So there's some cute things like that, but... Nothing great. I mean, are you serious? Like, do not disturb before bedtime features coming to, or do not disturb during bedtime if features coming. How about just turn off your phone? Like, did Apple really innovate something there or a switch you could turn it off at nighttime? They've got some new emojis and FaceTime group calling and a little bit more augmented reality push because the first augmented reality is it's a joke. Uh, There's a new app called Measure, which lets you measure the distance between two objects, lines along surfaces and more. Instead of relying on measuring tape, you can just use your phone to check the dimensions of something. Um, I think that's kind of cute. You know, for a guy who, let's say you buy a house and you need a a rug in a living room, you can now take a picture of the living room and and figure it out without pulling out the old tape measure. Woohoo! But you could buy a tape measure for a dollar at a dollar store. So I don't know if I need a $1,000 phone to do that for me. Photos is going to have a ton of updates to its photo features, uh, which is good. A lot of app updates, CarPlay updates, but nothing that really tells me Apple is breaking through on anything. I think they're far ahead. I think they're a brand. I think the fact that they're a brand of Steve Jobs was cooler than Bill Gates it's kind of living on today. I own shares of Apple, so I need to you know, preface that a little bit. Um, it maybe makes me sound like a cheerleader, which I don't want to be. But I've been telling you honestly what I own and I don't own for years. I don't own directly Amazon.com. I wish I did. I do own Google. I wish I had more. I think it's out of the big juggernaut tech companies, one of the best positions for the future. Um, I do own Apple, but... When I bought Apple, it was because their hardware was king. Now I have to buy into the argument that their services are going to grow at a rate fast enough and profitable enough to keep me interested. Times are changing. Hardware products were always the pillar of Steve Jobs' famous speeches. Um, he would always end with this cool, shiny device that made Rob into a ape and uh, want to own it. Me want shiny device. Do you know I just paused there when I referred to myself as an ape? Because in this day and age, you need to be really, really careful what comes out of your mouth. That's right, Jack. When I was growing up, it was what you put in your mouth and what you ate you had to be careful about. But now it's what you say. 
And I go back again to, I want to create a TV show of fallen, of fallen people who've made terrible, terrible mistakes. It's going to be a sitcom. It's going to be Harvey Weinstein. It's going to be Roseanne Barr. It's going to be, um, who was Mad Max? Help me here. Um, actor. Oh, Mel Gibson. I'm going to do a TV show of just every vile human being that we want to go away. I'm going to put him on Netflix right in front of you. Is that going to be awesome or what? Awesome. Look at how many people ruin themselves. Uh, it just goes to show you that I think in sports, more games are lost than won. And I think in life, same thing. So the future of tech, I, I, I go back to and I go, eh. I do have kind of some regrets of spending, you know, so much money on shiny hardware. Not, not so much, but I have regrets about spending money in my 20s on, like, trying to impress women. I, I didn't know better. But now, in this day and age, as you get older, you go, I wish I know now. I wish I knew then what I know now, right? So Amazon's got this new digital key system that lets it deliver drivers, or let its delivery drivers, not only into your home, but they just announced one where they'll deliver it into your car while you're working. Do we need that? I don't know. So I think sometimes we need to stop and, and, and say, let's take a look at this. For instance, I have a Ring video doorbell, right? Bought it two months ago, and it's been sitting it's been sitting in my office forever, and I'm like, I don't really want to install it. I, I, I don't need more. I need less. 2018 smart home technologies will look different than 2017, and it will look different in 2019. With Amazon Key, you can install a camera to physically see a driver, talk to them, even you know yell at the, the neighbor's cat as it walks by. Which, there's a cat in my neighborhood that I'm just so surprised after four years it's still not run over. Um, I can't believe people let cats out like they do in busy areas. So, I don't know. At some point in time, like, will Open Table set up a service where I could pay an extra $10 to have a friend eat dinner with me? Not any friend, just some friend. No more lonely nights for an extra 10 bucks. I could actually pretend to have a friend. That's where tech's going. We're solving things we don't really need to solve. Like, do we really need to have an alarm? Do we really need Apple to tell us to turn off our phone at night? Or can we just do it ourselves? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.